started so hello and welcome to i can't believe this is our sixth episode already of the well projects a girl like me live which is a new interactive video live streaming series excuse me advancing health and wellness discussions and education among women living with and vulnerable to hiv every two weeks i see coven will sit down with different co-hosts to chat about key topics in our communities in today's episode i will talk with Heather O'Connor, I'm from ICWNA. Um, we'll be talking and discussing breastfeeding and HIV. Yo, I'm so excited for this. I am so excited. I think everybody is excited for it. <laughs> so we're going to just start by, um, I want you to introduce yourself and give us your affiliations and how did we get here? Yeah. Cool. So my name is Heather O'Connor. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I actually um, first found my way into the world of HIV advocacy by becoming um, a blogger for a girl like me. So that's where I first, you know, dipped my toes into the water there. Um, and actually through the lovely Chris, Krista Martell, I was introduced to Martha Cameron of ICWNA, the executive director, and started working as a communication specialist. Um, and so that's been about a year now. Um, and we're getting into all sorts of stuff and have, you know, been able to partner with the Well Project on some U equals U and breastfeeding stuff. And yeah, so that's where we are now, and I'm so excited to be here. Wait, I have to go back and touch on it. It's only been a year you've been in advocacy? Yeah, yeah. It's it has been. Wow. Which yeah. also means my son is almost a year old A year old already. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. there's so much to unpack <laughs> there. Okay. One year, <laughs> Heather has been doing advocacy work, and when you began blogging for... The Well Project for a girl like me, your first blogs were like huge. Like it wasn't like this small thing. Can you, you know, share with us what you were blogging about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I started blogging. I think my first blog was just about like pregnancy and my and quarantine and anxiety is a multifaceted thing you know um because i you know i had been working as an in-home aba therapist before the quarantine happened and i knew in my heart i wanted to get into the world of advocacy that that's where that's where i needed to be um but i didn't know how to do it so i you know just sort of started reaching out to people and um, I connected with Maria, Maria Meja. Is that how we say your last name, Maria? I don't know if she's on here. I'm uh, it wrong too. Yeah, I'm sorry if I said it wrong. Um, but she actually connected me with the Well Project. Um, and yeah, so when I started blogging, I was blogging about quarantine. I was blogging about being pregnant. I had, you know, I have a two and a half year old who was like one and some change at the time. And um, also dealing with like pregnancy and uh, mental health issues uh you know i've had i've had depression and anxiety in my past and had to stop all of my medication cold turkey when i found out that i was uh pregnant um so there was a lot going on and i had a lot to say and i just needed somewhere to say it in an environment where uh where other women could understand truly where i was coming from you know and a girl like me, I have found in my own experience is such a great platform for that. Like you, I know they've never censored my voice. I can just get on there, you know, and express whatever it is that I'm feeling at the moment. And more than likely it resonates with someone. So then I can have this side conversation and feel okay. Mm -hmm. Feel like I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. um, so I know that one of my blogs, which I didn't think was really a big thing at the moment when it got posted, but it was called Liquid Gold. Mm -hmm. So that was me going back, you know, and at the time I only had Zion, my now 10, almost 11 year old. He um, 
he was a little older and I never planned on having any more kids or anything, but I could just remember, you know, just watching other women breastfeed and, you know, August is National Breastfeeding Awareness Month and a month like this would normally trigger something inside of me, you know, make me a little sad, you know, or envious or jealous, just as like when I would watch the moms at the stores, you know, just pull their breast out and give it to their kids or mm-hmm. something. And it was something that I knew that I could not do because I was living with HIV. So in touching the neck, you know, those feelings and those emotions, I wrote liquid gold. And I use gifts in my blogs. How could you not? Picture, it was like a scene out of The Lion King, you know, where Rafiki goes to hold Simba up. Mm-hmm. But it like turns and he throws the baby. And that is how I yeah. felt, you know, postpartum, just, mm-hmm. I don't this baby don't need me and I've done everything that I was supposed to do already because I couldn't breastfeed. Like, you know, sometimes you can't see how much good things are going, like how many good things are going on. Uh, I was able to conceive, I was able to carry, but I wasn't able to feed this child. So F all of this, you know, like what do I, and then, you know, and I can't believe it's only been a year you know, here's somebody like you. I think that I ran into you for the first time at the Well Projects um, when we did the expert consensus statement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you were just like this fresh face. And it was another woman, I believe, that was from Canada who had twins and she mm-hmm. breastfed. And my mouth just dropped because, well, how they get to do this? <laughs> you yeah. know? How yeah. did they get so? And I love how you are able to speak of your experiences, you know, because you've breastfed both of your children, right? Yeah, yeah. And you've been positive with both of your children as well. Mm-hmm. Since 2016. So how did that happen? Um, it wasn't anything that I had even thought of. I became pregnant with my uh, daughter in 2018 and... Um, I remember going to, I had just moved to the area that I live in now. Um, So I had to get new care providers to begin with. Um, I got a new infectious disease doctor. I went to visit that infectious disease doctor after finding out that I was pregnant to learn that she was moving to a different practice. So, um, you know, I met her and then she short sort of, you know, peaced out and, um, then the next time that I had an appointment, a follow-up with my infectious disease doctor, my new infectious disease doctor, we had a talk about, you know, the pregnancy and everything and, and infant feeding options. Um, and I didn't even let him speak after he said, how are you going to feed your baby? I said, I'm going to use formula. I'm aware of the CDC recommendations. I'm aware that I need to use formula, you know, because I was very much uh, in a position where I had my own self stigma about living with HIV and being pregnant and having children to where I was ready to just lay back and follow all the rules. Like, tell me what to do, how to do this safely. I'm terrified, low key. Like, I want to make sure that my child, you know, that I don't transmit HIV to my child. So um, he's actually the one who asked me if I'd heard about the PROMISE studies in Africa, which uh, the PROMISE studies were a study done, um, I think it was like 2000, I can't remember what year it was, but it was among a group of mothers living with HIV on on antiretral uh, drugs with an undetectable viral load, um, and they all nursed their children. And this, basically the findings of the study were that the risk of transmission rate from mother to child when mom was undetectable was less than 1%, like way less than 1%. So um, when my infectious disease doctor was telling me this, he also said that it's recommended that the child also be on prophylaxis during the the time that you're breastfeeding, which allows uh, or prevents any blips in your viral load. So say if for any reason throughout the course of breastfeeding, you were to have a blip in your viral load and you were no longer undetectable, then the prophylaxis would account for that. Um, And I just 
you know, took that in con into consideration. That was the beginning of my pregnancy. I went back and forth a thousand times, um, got to the hospital, started my baby on formula because I was, I was afraid to bring up the conversation due to the stigma behind it. Um, and I just had, you know, I always say like, I had this like maternal instinct or whatever that I, I should be nursing my baby, that I, I should be feeding my baby from my body. Um, and so I told a nurse that I would like to speak with a lactation consultant and I'd like them to coordinate with my infectious disease doctor because I would like to breastfeed my child. Um, this is in the middle of the night. The next day, the lactation consultant and head nurse came to my room um, and were willing to talk to my infectious disease doctor. They coordinated um, and I actually, I was given this, the stamp of approval to go ahead and start pumping and, and giving my baby my milk. Um, and so, so I guess that's, that's the start of it. Um, and ultimately the, the, you know, main reason why I decided to do it was because I did get the support we, from my infectious disease doctor. If he had not brought it up, if he had not been behind me and been a voice of advocacy for me, I wouldn't have had the courage or the ability to, uh, advocate for myself and my child. Um, so that's, that's a huge, huge part of it. So I'm not going to cry as much this week as I cried, you know, with our last stream. Um, <laughs> but it just is very, is warming to hear that your provider would even bring that conversation to you. And I love how you are able to address your privilege in it because that conversation skipped me. It skipped me back in 2010 when I got pregnant with Zion and gave birth. It skipped me this time. Matter of fact, you know, if, I guess we met in October for the mm -hmm. consensus study. Sorry, we have an airplane flying by. But um, that was October. I found out in February of this year that I was pregnant. And so, you know, coming off of that high from sitting around with all these people that agreed, you know, that there probably is some great in looking into women living with HIV breastfeeding and that it possibly like it can be done, you know, we need more research, all of this. And I'm going into my doctor's office with that attitude, like, yes, I want to breastfeed. Y'all can use me for research if you need to. Like, I'm willing to do all of this and to be met with the resistance that I was met with. Oh, my goodness. It was like being on this great high, like, you know, in a balloon and somebody just popped it. And this is very early in pregnancy. And it's hard to not, you know, refer back to the the negative emotions and feelings that I had with that first pregnancy, because now I thought it would be different. Um, that doctor, <laughs> you know, she told me that if that was something that I wanted to do, that for one, that I would need to be quiet about it. You know, don't tell anybody because they are... The pediatrician, one of them here, but the one that they work with is known to call DHS one parents that decide to breastfeed while living with HIV, breastfeed or chest feed. Um, so I definitely didn't want DHS called on me. I don't need those people in my business. As well as, you know, there would be no doctor in America that would work with me if that is what I wanted to do. And I couldn't understand it because I know people and you being, you know, the first one that pops in my head. I know people that live in America who have breastfed and who have not been referred to DHS. So after that call, that was sometime, you know, in February. After that call, I called you. <laughs> I was like, yo, like, how did you avoid you know, the conversation of DHS and all of that. Mm -hmm. How was you able to get there? Because it seems so unfair. And there are so many disparities and you hate to just say that it's because, you know, you look a certain type of way and I look yeah. a certain type of way or because we live, you know, in different areas. You hate to say that, but sometimes it kind of, it, it feels like that and it seems like that. And I love, once again, that you're able to address those things. To have a provider come to you and say, how do you want to feed your child? Like, I don't even know how I would have answered that. I think I would have been just as surprised as you were. Right, right. Um, 
So, yeah. yes, I thank you so much for the work that you're doing. I thank you so much for getting up and using your voice and, you know, just being there for so many of us that are wanting to, um, I mean, I think that you're reaching so many people. And once again, i like to say thank you. So are you, girlfriend. <laughs> and I just want to say, like, I know that we've had this conversation before and like, yeah, you say like, you hate to say those things that because someone looks like me, like I would get support, but like the more, the more we tiptoe around it, you know, and, and the more we're afraid to say the wrong thing or we're afraid to step on toes, like we need to just keep bringing it up, you know? And, and, and as like, as a white woman, you know, like if I don't bring it up, then it's not being talked about, you know, it's not. And, and you need like white people need to talk about it. They need to talk about their privilege. They need to call it out for their black sisters. You know what I mean? And, and say like, why is this, why is this happening? You know, uh, in our milky mama's group, which I'm sure we'll like get into that a little bit more, but like there were two moms, same gestation, um, you know, same, same part of the world. And like one mother was receiving support to breastfeed and the other wasn't, one was white, one was black. What's the difference, you know? And, and I mean, it just, the more you call it out, the more it gets talked about and, and it needs to get talked about because it's not fair. It's not fair. Um, and, and it shouldn't be tiptoed around, you know? So we got to say it, we got to keep saying it, no matter how uncomfortable it is, you got to bring it into the room and you need to talk about it, you know? Um, Thank you. Yeah, like, I, I definitely. Okay, it gets heard a little differently once you hear a white woman say it than mm -hmm. you know when you hear a black woman or mm -hmm. a black man or you know anybody. We have for so many years been fighting, and it gets tiresome and it gets like very disheartening. And people always, they'll, they'll claim that you're pulling a certain card when no, clearly this is what it looks, this is what it is. This is, but you'll have the majority, you know, looking at you like you are just, you know, look, seeking sympathy or just using this and no. So that also is very helpful. And I really appreciate, you know, you pointing it out because we, society needs to hear more voices like yours need to because clearly even when it comes to our health care we are treated differently just because yeah. of the color of our skin and I thought that that was I don't know it pisses me off sometimes but you know you keep moving and you have you join community and I'm so grateful that you are a part of our community so um let's see Milky Mamas, you brought that up, which is now <laughs> called the Milky Movement. Yes, yeah. Yes. Can yeah. you explain to us what that is? Yeah, totally. Um, so the Milky Movement, which is now called the Milky Movement, not just to be uh, inclusive to all birthing parents uh, who don't identify as like being a mother or having breast and breast breastfeeding, but they chest feed, um, is also called the Milky Movement, M-O-O, because both my daughter and my son, I call like Nursing Milky Moose with them. <laughs> so like Aurora calls it like Milky Moose. And so that's where that came from. But yeah, so um, it honestly just started out as a support group via the app Telegram, um, which is like WhatsApp. It's just another platform like that. And just for birthing parents living with HIV with an interest in breast or chest feeding um, to just be in a space and talk about it, to have the conversation and, and to just uh, create a space that they knew was okay to come and ask questions, to inquire, or to talk about their grievances. Like you said, with Zion, you know, you weren't able to breastfeed and that's, that's a traumatic experience you know, I would think because your body goes through growing this human being, giving life to this human being, and then naturally wants to feed your human being, feed this human being. And you have to suppress that natural process of the body. And that's, that to me is traumatic because not only is it something that you're, you're going against like the natural processes of processes of your body, but it's also a reminder that you're living with HIV. You know, because I'm going to cry again. Like the tears are coming. It's still I, wish I, I promise. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would love a hug. 
Yes. Because when you say something like that, I can remember Zion stayed in the NICU because he was premature. Yeah. And he was there for nine days. So I stood in the shower of the Ronald McDonald house, you know, which is where parents go when their children are in the NICU. So I'm already in this place and my breast started getting really big, hard and gorged. And mm-hmm. I watched my milk just pour down the drain mm-hmm. and I felt so toxic to my own baby and already had felt like I felt him a little bit because now he had to be hooked up. I got one. I got tissue. I was prepared. So, uh, you know, my body had already felt him and he had to be hooked up to these machines and I didn't make them to turn and now I can't feed them. So <laughs> that was so hard. Then it's the reminder in the shower watching the milk go away. Then it's the reminder laying in the bed because you can't lay down on your stomach or any type of way because your breast hurt. Then having to put the cabbage leaves on it. Like it was just so much reminder of how maybe I had made the wrong decision in having this baby. And it felt so bad. So it, I don't know. This conversation is full of so much hope. I'm sorry. I'm in Milky Mamas too, the Milky Mama. Yeah. And I'm learning so much from y'all. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, feel those feelings because it's real. Like that is, that's a real, that's so real. And I felt all of those feelings in the hospital, but the only difference is that I had the support there from my infectious disease doctor to say something. And and then that was able to move forward. But I I was feeling like that was happening to me. My milk was coming in and, you know, so I can't, I can't imagine that. That's, um, it's so hard in a world where the narrative is breast is best, you need to breastfeed. But then, you know, even without living with HIV in the hospital, it's like breast is best. But then there's a, a, a severe lack of lactation support in the hospital. And, and even if you do get that support in the hospital, then you go home. And then what happens? You have a clogged duct, you get mastitis, and that increases the risk of transmission. What do you do? Like, there's so many questions. Um, and so that's what Milky, the Milky movement is for, you know, is for all the support and all of that information, you know, and, and just that constant, I'm here, what's going on? Tell me what's going on. Like, let's see how we can support one another, you know, because um, it's needed. I mean, postpartum is so hard. Breastfeeding is so hard. Chestfeeding is so hard. You know, there's, it's just a multifaceted thing. And then you have to, you know, think about uh, medication adherence for yourself, you know, keeping that viral load undetectable and then medication adherence to baby as well, you know, and you're not sleeping, let's be real, you know, and your body hurts, you just pushed a baby out or had a C-section, you know, there's so many factors weighing into making postpartum so hard for a woman or birthing parent living with HIV, um, that, that there just needs to be, there needs to be an outlet and there needs to be um, connections and support. Um, and that's just what I want the Milky Movement to be. It, just, it has been because like I have learned so much just through the different moms that are coming through the group and, you know, their questions and their real life, you know, in the moment experiences. We watched a girl the other day, she was ready to give up. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't know what to say to her, <laughs> you know, but because you have also that lived experience, like you just, your patience, you know, and your compassion and nurturance, you were able to, you know, talk her back. And I just, I know that she appreciated it. And I appreciated watching that exchange. Um, Cause I thought that you just put your breast in the baby's mouth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> apparently it doesn't go like that. <laughs> it does seem like it may go that way for some people, but for most, I don't think that it happens that easily. Although, I mean, the child, that's, that's something to acknowledge as well is there's that innate, um, that innate instinct for the child to to find the breast and to get to the milk, they smell your milk, you know? And so 
So the child is already born with that instinct there and then um, not having the support to know how to make that connection and make it happen is really, uh, really tough. And then, yeah, not having the support to do it all together is just Support is so important. Like you've mentioned it a couple of times, but it absolutely makes such a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, To be at my OGYN office now, which I'm so grateful I made that change very early in my pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So now I have like a high risk OBGYN. Every appointment, my caseworker is there and she has an assistant. Then I have a high risk nurse. Then I'm in the same building with maternal fetal medicine. And, you know, all of these people is just all wrap around support and it feels so good and they won't take their hands off of me until a year postpartum that is probably one of the best things that i could have you know learned because i feel like a lot of times after the birth you know the mom just or the birthing parent just gets thrown back into Mm -hmm. society and we we still need support Mm because i know i definitely experienced postpartum heavy heavy and i don't know if that was the name i was able to put on it at the time but i definitely was not feeling the best um so yeah i'm I'm very happy with how this is going i went to um thank you krista because i was going to you equals you (laughs) next um okay so you equals you for people that don't know what that is that is undetectable equals untransmittable. And the question is, do you think you equals you has advanced the conversation of breastfeeding and HIV? Something like that. Paraphrased a little bit. Um, I'm going to respond first and then I'll get your input, Heather. So the first time I heard about you equals you was at a conference or something, but I felt like it was something I already had been experiencing because I had been married and had sex and had a baby and I hadn't transmitted the virus. Like I took my medication because that's what they told me would keep me alive. And then also as a positive consequence of that, I saw that I wasn't transmitting the virus to anybody. So for it to now have a name, you equals you, that was so great. Um, And I saw how long it took for the CDC to, you know, even signed on. And it seemed like they signed on with some hesitance as well. So it's like a very specific thing. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If you're undetectable, if your viral load is undetectable for a certain amount of time and it's only covering sex, it does Mm -hmm. not cover, you know, anything else. So although we could probably, you know, pretty much say that, yeah, it is what it is, they haven't signed on to that yet. And um, not unfortunately, it just is what it is. We're in the United States and it's who makes the recommendations and, you know, a lot Mm -hmm. for our care. So, but being that you equals you is a thing, do you feel like that has... Like that has um, made the conversation around breastfeeding and HIV different? Um, you know, I'm sure. Um, and I only say it in that way because, you know, I was diagnosed in 2016 and um, I don't, you know, I'm trying to remember the first occurrence that I actually heard like you equals you. Um, so I, um, I mean, yeah, definitely the conversation has changed, but I haven't been around in the game too long. And so my experience was very much just like myself living with HIV, navigating this world. And um, it wasn't until after having children that I connected with other advocates in the advocacy world and the door sort of opened and I started educating myself on that. Um, Now that I am here, I definitely think that there needs to be a space for women and birthing parents, you know, like this needs to be assessed. And I know that there, there is, um, there are the promise studies, there is science to, to back up that, uh, the transmission from mother birthing parent to child through breast or chest feeding can be virtually eliminated with antiretrovirals. But then there's some conversation about, is there some, um, cell associated virus that can be activated in the child's body? Um, 
and and this the science needs to be done like the the research needs to be done um but the space needs to be created for this to happen you know and i just the world health organizations they recommend for outside of the us um exclusive breastfeeding in low resource countries because the risk of infant mortality due to unclean water that they would use for formula um, and and things such as diarrhea or, or diseases associated with that the mortality rate is way higher than the transmission rate for mother to child through breastfeeding but i do have to say that since you know starting this conversation about you equals you and breastfeeding and moving this movement forward, I've had so many women reach out to me from Africa saying, uh, we want information on how to not transmit this virus to our children, you know? And so it's just so confusing and, and just sort of, there's a duality to it because in the United States, like we're, we have this information and we have these resources and this, the facility to move forward and, and to continue this research and to nail down these facts, you know? Um, and we're just sort of recommending use formula, you know, let's use formula, but we have the means to, to push this forward and to get this information out there. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's totally, totally important to to continue this conversation. And we're coming for you, CDC. We're going to have conversations about it because it, I mean, as much as the CDC is also going to say breast is best, breast milk is an amazing elixir. You know, it's a life-saving elixir. And it is. The science is there. Like, breast milk is magical. It truly is. Um, and so we need to start thinking about our babies, too, people living with HIV. What about our babies? You know, because they if the science is there to, to prove that the risk of transmission is virtually eliminated, then what's the deal? You know what I mean? You know, and at some point, you know, it's kind of like you should really just be grateful that you're able to give birth to a baby that's not living with HIV. That's definitely how I felt the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, to go back and think about it, I gave birth to Zion vaginally back in 2010. Mm -hmm. And it seems like at that time, that was still something that wasn't being practiced all over the country. So there was still a risk there too. But you know, I had the support from my providers to take that risk. Like, And it's because they gave the okay. It wasn't because I knew that that was best for me. Right. I had the support of them. And so comparing that against this is like essentially very, very similar. There is a small risk. There's a risk, but, you know, why can't I take that risk as well? So to be dealing with providers that are still, um, you know, they're very good at inserting their own beliefs and biases and you know, lack of knowledge into those doctor's appointments, that hurts my feelings because I like to think of myself as a great advocate for myself. Very good. Can stand up. I can make a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. But for that sister that isn't able to do that for herself, like sometimes, yeah. not sometimes, many times, they walk out of those appointments feeling broken or feeling lost, hopeless, and I would hate for somebody to have to feel like that because at the hands of a medical provider. Yeah. Mm -mm. So here at the Well Project, I'll always big them up. Um, we like to include our community. And mm -hmm. so I posed a question to some of our care members, you know, if there was anything that they would want to make sure was discussed today. Mm -hmm. Um. The one question was, is it possible to change the current U.S. guidelines? If so, how? <laughs> what do you suggest? What do we do? Like, do we have to stand out with picket signs? Like, what do we do? <laughs> um, so right now, my uh, my biggest goal is, is, you know, creating this safe space, which is the Milky Movement for, you know, birthing parents and mothers to get support to breastfeed. And right now we're just finding the avenues of support that are already there. 
Um, as far as changing the current guidelines, we need to follow up with science. We need to follow up with support, finding connections. We're working on it. You know, we're working on it. And can I say that there is a switch that you turn on and it happens? Absolutely not. That's not the way it's going to happen. But, you know, it's one step at a time, the connections that you make and then finding providers and physicians who are there, who there, are there and are on, on our side and want us to be able to feed our babies um, to help us push this forward and, and get what we need to get these recommendations changed. Um, I firmly in my heart and soul and every cell of my body believe that these recommendations are going to be changed. Like that's just really, and I don't think that um, that's outlandish. And if it is, then that's fine, because I think that way anyways, you know, um, and, and I'm just it's very, very, very important that um, that we have a voice, you know, that we have a voice because we are not subhuman because of our diagnosis, you know, and, and that's that's the thing of it, too, is um, it is not. I, it is wrong for a birthing parent or a mother living with HIV to be seen as a risk being pregnant, to procreate and to make other human beings, because that that's not where the focus should lie. The focus should not lie on telling uh, parents that they should use formula to feed their babies, because in the, re the reality is the science is out there. But even if um, even if it wasn't, people are going to do it. People are doing it in private with no support. And that's not safe, you know, because we do have the science. We do know the ways that we can, you know, reduce the risk of transmission transmission, and do it safely. So instead of exerting so much energy towards saying, no, do not do this, use formula, and then just putting your hands up, we need to start talking about the science and how do we do this safely? How do we offer support? you know, during pregnancy, we need to set it up even before we get to the hospital to have the baby. We need to know that we need a breast pump. You know, how do we get a breast pump? Um, what what are the things that we need to take care of our bodies? What happens if our nipples get cracked and sore? And what if there's blood? What if there's expo exposed blood? Does that increase the risk? You know, and so all this needs to be laid out on the table and the support needs to be there and there's room for it to be there. There's absolutely room for it to be there. And and so I just think the energy is being pushed in a direction that's just not functional. It's not functional and it is not um, beneficial to birthing parents and mothers living with HIV right now or their children or their children. Because let's look at that, too. It's the children that are missing out on the breast milk, too. It's the children that are missing out on that. And so, you know, it's that's that's the direction that we need to go. <laughs> Is, is the support and the information and let's figure out how to do this safely, you know? So like simultaneously, Krista is putting in the, um, the chat to sign the consensus statement. And that is exactly where I was about to go. Please y'all, if you could, you know, help us out. I feel like we are so much better in great numbers because when we talk about making that change, the more of us, you know, that come forward, with this, you know, as an issue at the same time, it puts pressure on, you yeah. know, it makes them have to acknowledge it. You can't just ignore us. And in my own personal life, I've seen this because that same doctor's office that turned me away at first, I got a call from a caseworker from their office the other day. And it was... She's like, yeah, I know that you left us and your doctor said that you fired her because of such and such. She said, but we just got a call from another girl who was in this office who is breastfeeding. Huh. And <laughs> she said, um, you know, I just I said, I think I know her already. I think we've already linked because that's essentially like what's happening. We yeah. are all linking, you know, behind the scenes because we're not getting the support from them. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I think I know her. And, you know, we talked a little bit. And finally, I found some softening in their office. Like the lady is willing to learn. She was like, there's any information, you know, I would, I'm open to it. Because it wasn't just me now speaking on it. I wasn't by myself. Clearly, this is a topic that is important to us women living with HIV. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and other birthing parents living with HIV. Clearly, it's important, and you can't just you can't just disregard it because you feel like you know that isn't what we should be doing. So mm-hmm. yes, the consensus statement definitely has been signed on by some great, amazing people, and we would love to have your support with that as well. So I'm sure that that. Um, link is in our comments somewhere. Um, oh, I'm just <laughs> for this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Krista too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love reading the little comments pop up at the bottom. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. <laughs> it's even great to like go back and read all of them at one time. Yes. I, I yeah. love this. I love community conversations. Mm-hmm. I love the different perspectives and input. This is such a great series, and I'm just so grateful to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, another comment from our community was, and it's more of a comment, may I suggest a reminder to women or birthing parents who couldn't or can't breastfeed that they are no less of a mom than one who did. Mm-hmm. She said, I struggled with this because I couldn't. She had initial fever and complications, and I was really hurt. I was HIV negative at the time. I know being positive is today. We all need that reassurance. So, yes, you are no less than a mom. Mm-hmm. You are no less than a parent if you're not able to breastfeed. I know my internalized stigma plays a lot into that because I'm automatically going to attribute it to HIV. Like, if they tell me that I couldn't breastfeed today, it's going to be my HIV off the rip. When it could also be so many other reasons, you know, why I wasn't able to. But the benefits of the breast milk for the mom and the child, there was a comment that popped up earlier. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know. I just knew that that was the natural thing to do. I didn't know that, you know, it could help a woman's body or, you know, even beyond just losing the baby weight. You know, I didn't know you you shared with me some things of like the the benefits of breast milk for the baby, you know, diaper rashes and all of this. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. I just thought it was just like toxic fire or something. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I mean breast milk, I both my, my kids had clogged tear ducts from birth, squirted in their eye. If they have a clogged nose, squirt it in their nose. You know, like I saw a meme or something where someone was like, can someone just squirt a little bit of breast milk on 2020? (laughs) 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 I liked that one. But yeah, so to the comment about being no less than a mother uh, because you could not breastfeed, I feel like as someone becomes a parent or, or a mother, you are automatically like, born into this world of guilt and all of these feelings of like, I should have done this better. I can't do this. Like, um, and it's just, it's so incredibly, um, it's so incredibly hard. And so I don't know, it might've been, I don't know where I heard this from, but, um, I, there was, a quote somewhere that said, like, if it is at the risk of your own mental health and your own well-being, then breast milk no longer is liquid gold, you know, because truly the, the biggest thing that your child needs is you. And that's it. You know, they want you. And if you can't breastfeed, then you know, that's, that's automatically, I'm sure a lot of people feel guilt. I was feeling guilty about, you know, the thought of not being able to breastfeed, but your child needs you and you're the best thing for your child, you know? Um, And I just, I could go on and on about mom guilt, everything from like what you feed your kids for lunch and like what I, and especially with COVID added into it. Um, And so I just want to send love out to all of the birthing parents, all of the mothers with kids and let you know, regardless of how you feed your child, like you are exactly what your child needs, exactly what your child needs. And you are making the right decision for your child because um, it's hard being a parent. <laughs> oh, yes. Mom guilt definitely extends past this breastfeeding conversation. Good. Good. Because yeah. I never thought that I would be one of those parents that. You know, my child would have so much screen time. Never, ever, oh, ever. 
my major was child and family development in school. So yes. I like graduated and I was like, I'm going to be the best parent ever. I'm going to do everything opposite than what those that came before me yes. did because y'all did it wrong. Yes. child got here, I was like, freak. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, um, truly. <laughs> this works in the moment. So we're going to keep doing this because this is you. hard. This is so hard. It is so hard. It is so hard. And, you know, I was the same way. I'm like, I'm not going to put my kid in front of a TV. I'm not going to do that. We're going to do sensory activities like Montessori learning, you know, and we do a little bit of that, too. We dig in the dirt and we wash Elmo because sometimes mom needs a second to just go in the bathroom, shut the door and breathe. Like, you know, and that's cool because that's being a good parent, you know, like you got to be good to you to be good to your kids, you know, because it. I mean, just putting all the pressure on yourself and constantly adding things to your checklist and like having this idea. And I'm speaking truly like from my own mind, but I overthink everything. And I get in my mind that if I don't do A, B and C, then I'm somehow failing as a parent. And that's not right. That's not true. Because all of that time that you're worrying about not doing A, B and C, you could have just been connecting and like being real with your kids. Cause that's the thing too. We need to talk to our kids about, you know, how it's hard and how you get stressed and how things are not easy sometimes. And, you know, mommy's having a really hard day today, you know, like we just need to chill and sit on the couch for a second. And then like, that's taking a little bit of pressure off of the youth youth coming up and like growing up because then they're, they're learning that it's okay to have a rough day. It's okay to take some time to breathe and like chill out and, and not feel okay you know, um, and then there's less pressure. And I just, but that's a whole tangent in itself. You that's know, a whole I mean? episode, okay? That's a whole other episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other episode. You're right. So someone else, she said, um, what is the cell talk or the conversation in your head you use to calm and reassure yourself when others are rude or question your choice to breastfeed to your face? Um, So this is funny because I was just having this conversation. Um, We have an event coming up. ICWNA is uh, partnering with the 4M project on August 18th. We're having a webinar on breastfeeding and chest feeding and HIV. Um, And we got quite a few comments on the advertisement, including, um, are you crazy? Yeah, just I I can't remember off the top of my head, but I just felt fire inside when I read them. And my immediate reaction was to like fight back. You know what I mean? But then I like took a moment and I'm like, okay, is this an opportunity to get really pissed off or is it an opportunity to like be pissed off, but then educate? You know what I mean? Because then you go from having a like, oh, I'm about to lose my cool to a drop the mic moment. And actually one of the comments that it was the are you crazy comment, um, I just responded and, you know, I said, you know, actually, no, like here's here's this information and here's this, you know, science is great because uh, birthing parents and mothers living with HIV who choose to breast, breast or chest feed can actually do so if they are undetectable and here are the things that they need to do. And like, isn't that great? Because now I have two children that I were able to breast, I was able to breastfeed safely, you know, and that person actually came back and said like, wow, that's really great. You know, and is that always going to happen? No, but it did that time. (laughs) That's decent because I don't know if it's just my aura or whatever it is, but People don't often say things to my face. I just imagine that these conversations are always being had behind my back and it's fine. And I just typically take the stance that, you know, I'll just show people, you know, through my actions and through my life, how I choose to live it, what it is. Like, I'm not set to prove anything to anybody but myself. Like, this Mm -hmm. is something that I wanted to do. I didn't have to consult with you to have sex. I didn't have to consult with you to get pregnant. I don't have to consult with you anything, you know, so whatever stigma or biases or misinformation that you hold, you know, may they change if you, you know, you're open-minded enough, you know, to listen, 
And if they mm -hmm. don't, then you have chosen that ignorance. And that's fine. But for the person that is supposed to hear it, for the person whose life that it helps, like that is why I do this. So that's usually where my self-talk and my reassurance mm -hmm. comes in is that it's reaching who it's supposed to reach. It's helping who it's supposed to help. And this person watching it may not be positive. This may not be their experience, but they may know someone else who you know, is, you know, who could benefit from, you know, watching this conversation or reading some of our resources or, you know, even just reaching out to an advocate like you, me, or the many other women that are out here, you know, with this live experience, because this is definitely a journey. And I think it's something to be said about living your life so loudly, because, you know, so many people are not able to do that. And with something as precious as with our children, you know, in these very vulnerable times, I think that that is something, you know, to be definitely applauded and, you know, acknowledged. So once again, thank you, Heather. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say that's why you're my friend, because I worry about everything. So then I call you and you you talk me off the ledge. <laughs> that's why we got each other that way. <laughs> you know, my days, I have to call you. I'm like, look, I need, I need to know if I'm being rational or <laughs> It yeah, truly works perfectly. Definitely, you know, my whole mantra of, you know, spreading light, sharing light. Mm -hmm. Some days I have it to share with you. And some days, you know, I need you like to bounce back over this way because yeah. I don't always have it together. Mm -hmm. And I think there is, you know, just in general, but in this breastfeeding conversation specifically, like I have seen how your light has shone or shown, is shown the right one there? Yeah, you so got it. Brightly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it has shown so brightly and helped so many other women. Like, when I get a positive lady or a woman that's living with HIV, she wants to breastfeed because that's usually who reaches out to me. Um, I'm like, yo, no, I got this place for you to go. I know this girl. Look, read this. Do this. Da -da 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 -da. Do you need me to talk to somebody? I'll talk to them. Switch that doctor. F them. Yep. I'm, so, I'm down and I'm ready for the cause. And I think that, you know, as long as we all band together and continue to, you know, just let this grow, yeah. not just in National Breastfeeding Awareness Month, you know, this month and beyond. Mm -hmm. um, I think we could do some big things. I really oh, yeah. think we could do some big things. We're doing it. We're doing it. For sure. So let's see. Do I have any? Uh, I don't think I have any more input from anybody else. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to address to acknowledge? On yeah, yeah. So I know I went into like the Facebook comments in regards to like people not being supportive, but I did also want to mention that like it was really hard making the decision to breastfeed Aurora, my daughter Aurora, because I also felt my own family being nervous and not only was i like nervous about it but i could feel their energy too and it was in a way that was like i'm gonna support what you want to do but there was still that like hesitancy there that that what if you know what i mean and i think that that was that was one of the hardest parts there um and so then once we started the process and you know i breastfed aurora for 14 months and zephyr my son he's 10 months now and we're still we're still nursing um but as as they started getting tested and the negative tests uh kept rolling in and you know and you know aurora was doing beautifully zephyr is doing beautifully that sort of reassured me um and I do want to say, too, that with Zephyr being my second child and my second experience um, nursing while being positive, um, I felt so much more confident with him. And I feel so confident talking with other parents and, and other mothers about their choices as well. So um, initially, there was, there was a lot of fear and there was... Um, you know, a lot of self-stigma, but that was my first opportunity to make a decision as a mother of my child. And um, I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of the decision. You should be. Oh, gee, I don't know if I would have been able to. So yeah, you should be very proud. I think that it's very important that you bring up, you know, the stigma, 
that you felt, you know, from your family. Um, mm-hmm. Did you feel that same stigma, like, while you were pregnant? Were they worried then? Or was it the moment that you decided to breastfeed? The moment I decided to breastfeed. Yeah. Did you mm-hmm. get support from your partner? Yes. 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 Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my husband and I had a, a long conversation about it, you know, and like I said, when I was pregnant with Aurora, I changed my mind a thousand times, you know, tried to find all the research, which is extremely conflicting. If you do a Google search on HIV and breastfeeding, you're going to get a thousand different things and not know what to think at the end of it. Um, But we basically band together and decided, you know, we're going to stick together and we're going in on this as as a team, you know, Um, and I felt really strongly about it. And he backed me up and you know, we even had to do the hard things like like talk about the what ifs, you know, and that was very difficult. Um, but I mean, we did have a conversation and should anything happen, like everything's going to be OK. We're going to be fine, you know, um, but it, I mean, let's I mean, it's hard. It's a hard it's hard to have the conversation. Now I feel much more confident and I and I trust the science wholeheartedly. That's awesome. That's awesome. I know that, um, you know, even without breastfeeding with Zion, giving him that medication after birth, that was really hard for me. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, now that the recommendations are that you continue to give the child the medication while you're breastfeeding. So that's something that I'm a little, um, you know, hesitant about. Yeah. But you kind of, you got to, you know, weigh out what, at least that's been my experience, weigh out what is more important to me, what would be in the best interest of my child. Because I kind of noticed, Tom, you know, what to expect, because I was walking very blindly the first time, just like you say, you're you're more confident now. I feel more Mm -hmm. confident that I'll be able to handle those emotions and I know where I can reach out for help and seek support and all of it this time. So, think I've done a good job to get all my ducks in a row. Even though something's still going to be a little off, I know that, like, I'm not expecting perfection, but I feel so much better prepared this time. Good. And you have a lifeline, you know. You you always have have someone or have a community of of women to reach out to, to back you up and to talk to. The Well Project and the Milky Movement. Yeah. Part of ICWNA, like, I don't know, without these two entities, I really don't know how different life would be for me right now. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart, just like, you know, women that are surviving and thriving and doing stuff, you know, this is so, so decent. I feel like I'm a part of something that is so much bigger than me. So, yay. Okay, we're going to... um, Somebody wants to ride your motorcycle out. But <laughs> Mamas always put so much pressure on ourselves. We have to keep reminding ourselves we're doing our best. Absolutely. In the middle of a pandemic, a pandemic. Yes. I don't know. They're calling a pandemic everything but a mm-hmm. pandemic. But in the middle of all of this, we are doing our best. Now, I'm so proud of y'all. I'm glad we're doing this on a Wednesday because y'all my WCWs. <laughs> oh. We are in here. So is there anything you want to leave the audience with? One last comment. Uh, you know, we're here, reach out. Um, and yes, the mom guilt, the parent guilt, it's huge. It's huge. And don't ever allow yourself to go through it alone if you have the option of reaching out to a community who is open and willing to give you air hugs and and talk you through it because lord knows we all need it i need it very much (laughs) and so i got you you know um and one of the most beautiful things about ucc is your mantra about the the giving light and receiving light um so i feel like if that's something that someone can remember daily, I think that's so important. It I is. got light today. I got it today. Nice. So come get it while it's here. <laughs> what happens if we both have light on the same day? Oh man, that's the more that we can reach. <laughs> reach out. Oh, we're going out. <laughs> we're here. <laughs> all right. So thank you all for joining us on our 
sixth episode of the Well Projects of Girl Like Me Live. Please join us again in two weeks. I'm so very excited for that conversation as well. That is going to be a conversation between Aisha Scott and Destiny Smith and I. It is going to be parenting and disclosure. Um, wow. That I might cry during that one too. But. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I um, need to watch those that. are two community advisory board members who are so essential to our community and i'm so grateful you know to just be able to sit down and talk with them we look forward to seeing y'all then thank you for being here and we love y'all love you Bye. Bye.